The Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio present this recording from Saver 2013 in New York City. This recording is from Friday, June 14th. Single Hop Brews IPA Deconstructed, featuring Jim Cook from Boston Beer. Welcome to Saver 2013 in New York City. I know Jim's been involved with Saver for many years, and I've been uh, had the good fortune to be involved a number of times as well, uh, always down in D.C. We really love being in D.C. It's a great city, but boy, it just brings a whole new electricity and vibe to it to be in, in New York for a change. I feel that way. I think I hope Jim does too. Um, so we're excited to be here tonight. Uh, my name is Ray Daniels, and I am nothing but the host uh, for uh, this room tonight. Uh, so very shortly, I am going to shut up, get out of the way, and, and let uh, Jim uh, do his thing. Um, I think the only housekeeping announcement we have uh, is the reason that we're using these microphones, and that is that they are recording these talks uh, for Craft Beer Radio, and they will be uh, uh, available uh, on uh, craftbeer.com through the Brewers Association. So if you want to ask a question, uh, raise your hand. I'll run over uh, obediently, bring the microphone, and let you ask a question. Um, so our presenter tonight uh, in some ways needs no introduction. Uh, he is an icon of American craft beer. Uh, this is a, a man who uh, started swimming against the stream in 1984 when he decided to start a brewery against the advice of his father, a fourth-generation brewer, or fifth. Are you fifth yeah. or sixth? You're sixth. sixth. Okay. Sorry, I got my generations confused. So against the advice of his father, although he did give in and invest right away yeah, in, in the effort um, to start a brewery. And uh, it was a brave thing to do, uh, a couple of other brave souls out west doing it, but this was in the east where things uh, changed a little bit more slowly. And uh, of course he started brewing Samuel Adams Boston Lager, and uh, that was a, uh, an epiphany beer for me personally. I remember having my first Boston Lager in Washington, D.C. in 1987, and uh, thinking, what's this, an American <laughs> beer? Like, I know all the American beers, this, isn't, this couldn't be an American beer. And tasting it and going, Oh, this changes everything. It really did. And uh, Jim has been changing things ever since. Uh, he truly is uh, largely responsible for what craft beer has become in the United States today, uh, both in terms of uh, beers that are uh, authentic, uh, with real people standing behind the beer and sharing their passion, and uh, with beers that are about flavor. And uh, I spent a bunch of years working for the Brewers Association uh, as director of craft beer marketing, talking to the media about beer before we had a definition of what craft beer was. When I used to say craft beer, and they'd say, what is craft beer? I said, everything from your local brew pub all the way up to Sam Adams. And every now and then somebody would say, well, well come on, Sam Adams, that couldn't be craft beer. It's like, yes, it is. What do we care about in craft beer? We care about flavor, and we care about authenticity. Here's the man that drives these beers, and he cares about flavor. And so... Uh, a true, authentic craft brewer, and uh, has done a lot to, to um, uh, drive and lead the industry. So anyway, time for me to shut up. Jim's got some great beers for you to enjoy tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, Jim Cook. Well, thank you very much, Ray. Um, and uh, I really appreciate your kind words, because Ray was also a pioneer. Um, Ray was doing this when it wasn't popular, when it wasn't easy when nobody understood what we were doing, making 
flavorful beer in the United States or why we were doing it. Uh, so it's nice to get some kind words from another pioneer. And of course, Ray is now uh, known all over the world as uh, the founder of the Cicerone program. Ray is the preeminent beer educator in the world. And it's very cool to have that here in the United States because uh, today, the best place in the world to be a beer drinker is here in America. And the center of gravity, yeah, it's, I'll drink to that. Uh, and I've been drinking to that for a while. Um, but the center of gravity of the world's brewing culture has migrated out of the old world and come here due to the efforts of people like Ray and 2,500 craft brewers in the United States. Um, the center of gravity of the world's beer culture is now here. This is the best place in the world to be a beer drinker. And uh, we're gonna do something pretty interesting tonight. Uh, there's really gonna be two things. The sort of the, the focus of it is uh, to educate your palates about hops. Uh, and what we're gonna do is uh, deconstruct uh, an IPA. Um, we make a beer called Latitude 48 IPA. Um, it is an IPA, which basically means a lot more hops uh, than a normal ale. And we're gonna, uh, and that beer is uh, brewed, constructed in a way differently than uh, most IPAs. Most IPAs that you have um, are sort of, uh, and I, I'm gonna use a, a reference to uh, a lesser beverage, but the one that we all know, which is wine. And in that lesser beverage, uh, you know, there are, uh, in a sense, two approaches to how do you build your flavor as, as the winemaker or the brewer. And, and one of them is the American approach, which is make a varietal, a Cabernet or a Pinot Noir or a Merlot or a Sauvignon Blanc, et cetera, et cetera. American uh, wines are built around a single grape variety. And American IPAs um, are similarly uh, constructed around uh, a handful of uh, Pacific Northwest hop varieties. Um, you know, the, the primary ones being uh, Cascade, the Foundation, but Chinook, Centennial, Citra, Simcoe, Amarillo, uh, a couple of others but all from the, uh, a relatively compact growing area. Um, so sort of a single terroir, if you will, for those hops. And then uh, in wine, that's the American approach. The, uh, the European approach generally is to blend different grapes to uh, develop the most interesting flavor. So I guess it's called cuvee or meritage approach where you know, the famous wines in Europe, the uh, Lafitte Rothschild or Mouton, et cetera, are done from a whole bunch of different grape varieties put together in different blends based on the year uh, to like, make the most interesting wine. So two very different approaches. Um, and with Latitude 48, we took uh, the European approach and uh, built an IPA around hops 
from the great hop growing areas of the world. Um, those areas being really three hop growing areas. Um, the area north of Munich, uh, it's called the Hollertau. It's between Munich and Nuremberg. Uh, it's where most of uh, the uh, famous hops originated. They're called noble hops. Um, and they have that particular terroir and a particular set of flavors. And most of the genetic material for hops, no matter where they're grown in the world, part of that genetic material came from five noble hops. Uh, the, the one that I'm partial to is called Hollertau middle fruit. Um, it means it's grown in the Hollertau area. It, uh, middle fruit means uh, mildly early. Um, and it's grown there for centuries. And it is the foundational hop of the German lager brewing tradition. Um, then we're going to taste, and, and that will be the first one. So basically, we've taken Latitude 48, which uses German hops, English hops, and American hops, and deconstructed it. Um, so you'll have an opportunity, which you almost never get with craft beer to taste single hop beers, and then taste them all put together in a finished beer. And the objective would be to educate your hop palate about what's the difference between all these hops. How are German hops different from English, different from the New World hops uh, from the Pacific Northwest? So that's what we're going to do. Um, but this is an intimate enough group uh, so I would encourage you to like ask questions because uh, like a 30-minute monologue for me is about as, uh, I mean, it's like a near-death experience. I'm not that interesting. So it's okay to ask questions uh, as we taste. And um, I'll give you my impressions of these and then, you know, you can just tell me what you think. Um, the first one, um, this is number one, right? This is Hollertown Middle Fruit. Okay, and uh, this is, again, this is the principal hop of the German lager brewing tradition. Hollertown Mittelfruh um, are known for uh, what the Germans call mild. They're more floral. Um, they're very elegant. Um, what you should get in Mittelfruh is, uh, to me, I get a floral uh, impression, and it's a sort of high floral. It might be more sort of peony or lily or rose or orchid. Um, and then I get some sort of soft citrus, um, like an orange sort of tangerine. And these are all proxies. There is none of this in there. But those should be uh, the kind of, you know, impression that you get. And, you know, hops are flowers. And trying to describe what you get from a flower is incredibly difficult. I mean, if somebody could describe what does a rose smell like, it's really difficult. And that's part of the nature of trying to describe hops. We tend to use these words that are you know, similar to what you get, but they're not really what you get. But they're the best descriptors that we have. But I'd be, I'd be interested in, you know, you all are here because you have good palates and are interested. If anybody's got other descriptors, I'm, you know, I'm always interested in what other impressions people get. It just 
Um, yes, it would be. You're not getting. What do you get? I'm getting a little more, um, I don't know what, what word I'm looking for for it. It's not. Uh, like orange vanilla? I'm not getting any what of that. I, I, what I do you get? Trying, I was trying to get that, but I. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, like I said, these are all proxies. I mean, hops are a unique flavor. I'm getting a strong bitter. Well, yeah, bitter. But I'm not getting the, that, that crisp bitter that I get in a German lager or pills. Well, no, you're not going to get that because this is. An IPA, so you're going to get much more caramel malt that, and, and a much more malt body. In a German Pils, you're going to get very dry, very sharp, slightly acidic. The base here is different. And using German hops. In here, absolutely. These are 100% Hollertown Middle Fru. So this is kind of the foundational hop of the German lager brewing tradition. But it, you know, what you get is what you get. That's why I'm interested. I mean, the bitterness is definitely there. This is sort of mid-40s for bitterness. So you're going to get a definite bitterness. And the aroma. And, and, you know, when you taste things, you're really getting two things. There's what happens in your tongue, and then there's the aromatics. And most of what you think you taste, you actually smell. So maybe a way to ask it is, what do you smell? Okay. Yep. Yep. Any other candy? What kind of candy? Like what? The coffee. Yeah, that's mostly malt. And maybe one of the good things we can do is help you separate the hop aromatics from the malt. The malt will be toffee, caramel, roasted, um, and then the higher notes. The floral, the estuary, that's primarily hops. And there's actually an interesting taste phenomenon. Um, the aromas above the beer. You know, we normally think, well, you swirl it and you smell it and you get them. Um, this is a kind of cool thing. Uh, they actually don't commingle. They layer. So you actually will get layers of aroma and where you put your nose you will get different layers um, yeah the deeper you get into it the more sweetness if you put your nose at the top you get less sweetness more fruity floral yeah because the hops you smell all you taste from hops is bitterness. And the bitterness is pretty homogeneous across hops. If it's just pure bitterness, it's iso-alpha acids, it's the same. It's the aromatics that inform the flavor. Nose is malty. Yeah. Okay, see I'm getting in the aroma, separating from the malt is orange, floral, slight vanilla. Any other descriptors? I, I 
Yep. Yep. That would be the classic noble hop aromatics and yeah. So that's what I mean. That's what I get. Everybody's different. Um, and this will be interesting. Now let's try the next beer, which should be uh, East Kent Golding. So we're moving from you know the uh, signature hop for lager brewing to the signature hop for uh, ale brewing. And in England and in Germany, they name their hops after the terroir. So Hollertau Mittelfruit is also called Hollertau Hollertau, meaning it originated in the Hollertau growing area and it is, continues to be grown there. This is, uh, in England, they named their hops after the original 18th century farmers who discovered them. So you have these charming English names. Um, there was uh, the two primary hops in England are uh, named after Farmer Goldings and uh, Farmer Fuggles. Uh, there it was a, so you can actually get fuggled uh, with hops. Now, let me, can I get some? <laughs> and I think uh, our friends at Spiegelau, the glassware maker, which is an offshoot of Riedel, uh, the big wine glass maker provided us with these glasses. So, okay, is that another one? Perfect. Thank you. So these are English hops. They're actually grown by one grower. Um, different growers have different skill levels, and the best grower to our palate of English hops is a guy named Tony Redsell. Uh, if anybody's looked at, like, Michael Jackson's, uh, one of his books, they have a picture of Tony's hops. It's not the World Guide to Beer. It's the second one. Um, and they have hops from Tony Redsell's farm. These are, again, these are English hops. Yeah, that's the hops. Um, to me, as an ale hop, these are quite different from the Hollertau Middlefruit. They are earthy. If they were a flower, it would be like a chrysanthemum or a geranium. I even get a little bit of maybe tobacco, uh, like a fresh cut cigar uh, in there. Yeah, these are ale hops. Uh, and it shows you the difference uh, when you move from uh, classic lager hops, noble hops, to classic ale hops. And ales tend to be a little fruitier because they're fermented rapidly and at warmer temperatures. Uh, and they have what a Graham Greene, the English writer, described as the fine, fat tang of an English ale. And I've always liked that, that term. And with that sort of fine, fat tang, you need, to me, you need an earthier hop. Uh, you don't need high uh, floral notes. You need something uh, earthier, almost tobacco, even an ashtray a little bit. But it's a whole, and the bitterness character is quite different. It's not as clean. It's just, to me, more herbal rather than floral and spicy. Herbal, earthier. Yeah, anybody, what are, 
Anybody else have descriptors? Uh, incense. Incense, yep. What kind of incense? Like oh, jasmine type? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Weed. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you know. Well, the Latin name uh, for hops is cannabis lupulus. So they are uh, a botanical relative to our old friend marijuana. And there are trace elements of THC in hops. You can smoke them. You need like a big hookah because they burn really hot and rough. But, and you will get like a nasty buzz uh, off of them. Uh, I've been told. I read that somewhere. I think in one of Ray's uh, communications. Yep, yep. We'll move over to that. Uh, yeah, there's, yeah, it's interesting. I was actually, uh, spent some time with a, a professor at Oregon State University, Tom Shellhammer, um, who does a lot of hop research. And uh, he was telling me this story about uh, his son was camping out in the backyard um, with a bunch of kids and they put up their tent and um, they have a cat, a male cat, who was like annoyed that somebody was staking out their claim and he went and sprayed, you know, did his male cat thing on the tent. And uh, Professor Schellhammer went out there and collected it with paper towels and put it in a jar to get, and had it, uh, passed it around to his graduate students and said, what do you smell? And they said, hops. So there is, it's, it's, a very, sh well, we'll get to it. Um, we'll just keep going. Let's um, bring on the third beer. One, and, and it will somewhat reflect the, to me, the evolution of American hops, because right now, the most interesting, exciting things with hops are not going on in Germany or uh, in England. They're going on here in the United States. Um, the hop group, Growers here are just much more adventurous, much more willing to try things, much more experimental. Um, in Germany, they're very scientific and efficient and very analytical about it. And most of what happens with new hop varieties, frankly, is just sort of random. Um, there are thousands of plants that uh, start out in the hop research to get one new hop variety. It's largely done by trial and error. Okay, now this is uh, the third hop variety. We had the classic uh, German hop, classic English hop. This is Cascade, the classic American hop. Um, a hop that was first used in 1976 in Sonoma, California by a man named Jack McCullough, the pioneer uh, of craft brewing. Uh, and those of you who are into beer probably know about, uh, you know, some of the other pioneers, uh, you know, Sam Adams, Sierra Nevada, Red Hook, uh, a lot of the early, there was one guy who started uh, the craft beer revolution. It was not me. It was not 
Ken Grossman at Sierra Nevada. It was a man named Jack McAuliffe who in 1976 started a brewery called New Albion in California. And he brewed a beer called New Albion Ale that changed everything. It really wasn't me. Thank you, Ray, for the compliment. But it was Jack McAuliffe who changed everything. He used Cascades to make essentially a new world ale. Um, and so that's what we're getting here. New Albion had a little less caramel malt, so uh, a little less of that maltiness, a little brighter, crisper, cleaner. But he, was, he made uh, the American style of pale ale, which fostered many, many, many thousand pale ales, a thousand IPAs. Uh, they all started with Jack and his hop. He used one hop in New Albion. It was a beautifully simple beer. Um, I, we brewed it with him uh, a year ago at our brewery in Boston. And it was, as a brewer, it was just a wonderful experience to see the simplicity of the original craft beer. The only word that I could think of was Doric. Um, you know, in high school when they show you like columns, uh, Greek columns, and you've got like the really ornate ones that are Corinthian and then sort of ornate with a lot of crap on them that were Ionic, and then these beautiful, uh, simple columns that you have at the Parthenon, which were Doric. And this beer was Doric in its simplicity and beauty. And it relied on only one hop, these Cascade hops. And there is that, it's caddy. I mean, brewers call it caddy. Um, and the reference is like, you know, male cat marking its territory, but it really expresses itself much more elegantly as, to me, piney, resiny, little spruce, maybe some grapefruit rind. Um, and the cat is kind of what brings it out, but it's very elegant, very interesting hop. Well, it depends. Um, American craft beer drinkers probably have uh, a more. Their definition of hop character needs to be expanded. Too much of our definition of hop character is around spruce, piney, caddy. But there are other hop elements. So um, sometimes we only recognize what we've tasted. And most American craft brewers use American hops. But there are, that was what I was trying to do with the first two beers, is demonstrate the multitude of hop characters. Yeah, yeah. And we could even go you know, further afield. If you get like Nelson Sauvan hops from New Zealand, you will get like tropical fruit, lychee nut, you know, white wine. So uh, one of the messages is here is that there is a whole variety of hop flavors, characters, and aromas that needs to be expanded beyond what is typically represented in craft beers. And you're seeing more and more of that as craft brewers open up uh, their 
palate to additional hops. That's the next one. Yeah, good lead-in. Um, yes, so this is sort of the classic American hop. Um, it is the largest, in terms of volume, the most commonly used hop in American craft beer. There is something like 5,000 acres of it grown, which is, given normal yields, I don't know, 8, 9 million pounds. So uh, it's a lot. Um, it is the pretty much most craft beers are built around Cascades and its progeny. Centennial, also very popular. And hops share genetic material from each other. They are not like totally distinct. So when they crossbreed, they'll pollinate with wild hops, with middle fruit, with saws, um, with many other uh, hops to create a new variety. But they're not totally uh, a blank sheet of paper. They incorporate genetic material from other hops. Why don't we do the mosaic? Any other descriptors on Cascade or questions? Sure. change when you were using each different hop? Was it, was it the same amount for each one? Or? Um, no, because they have different alpha acid content. It was, they were to produce the same bitterness level. So uh, the alpha acids, which are the bitterness in hops, will vary. I mean, from Saz, which is, uh, again, uh, one of the noble hops, Saz might have 3% alpha acid, so the, the, uh, the original varieties were not bred for high alpha. They were bred for aromas, they'll have very low alphas. Noble hops will have from 3 to 5% alpha acid. Um, today, with the new, uh, you know, highly bred hops, you can get up to 20% alpha acid. So, uh, and, and much higher yield, which is one of the things going on. A high alpha hop um, like uh, Hercules or uh, Zeus or something, can give you close to, tw and the, the, the holy grail is 20% alpha acid and 4,000 pounds per acre. Um, the, the noble hops will give you 4% alpha acid and 1,000 pounds per acre. So the new uh, high alpha hops will give you 800 pounds of alpha acid instead of 40, 20 times as much, which has been the curse of the hop farmers because when you breed these high alpha hops with high yields, you don't need to grow as much hops. And this year was the first year that the majority of hops grown in the United States are uh, aroma hops rather than bitter hops. And all of the hops we're tasting today are aroma hops. So can I get a mosaic? Oh. This one. Yeah. Oh, this one. Okay. You can have as much as you want. Now this is a brand new American hop. This was the first year that there were commercial quantities. Um, it used to be called 369 two years ago. 
Sam Calgioni and I made uh, the beer for Savor. It's called Savor Flowers, and we used this hop in it. And it didn't have a name at that point. It was still an experimental hop um, that we've been working with uh, our hop dealer on. So tell me what you get here. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's, uh, the caddy is actually pretty high, but so is the floral. Yep. Yep. Yeah, this is an interesting hop. Um, and as a single hop, I'm not that fond of it. Uh, a little too much caddy, and it just kind of overwhelms everything. Okay, I'll take armpit. I mean, there's no wrong answers. Sweat sock, huh? Yep. I mean, it's, it's, if you actually smelled an armpit, it would be slightly different, but it has that acuteness, that sharpness to it. Yeah. Other descriptors? Pungent? Yeah. Now, when you... I mean, I get a lot of that in the aroma, and then when I drink it, I get a lot of tropical fruit. I get mango, lychee nut, pineapple. Other descriptors? Anybody else? No? Yeah, grapefruit and citrus. Yeah. And that grapefruit rind... It's not even the juice, it's the rind. Is, yeah, that's right. Is one of the sort of threads of American hops. That's a pretty common flavor element across American hops. And frankly, to me, this is the most uh, intense aroma. If you look at quantity of aroma, this is the most aromatic of all of them. Please? Um, a handful. There's maybe crop year 2012, 15,000 pounds in the whole world. So a handful. Um, and we've been involved in the development of it uh, for three or four years. So we were one of the original uh, users. But there's other brewers starting to use it. And it's just cool that for brewers, we now have a much broader palette of hops. Uh, so, and a brewer is much like a chef. We're just trying to put all these spices together to make something that we like and hopefully pleases other people. And uh, let's do the last, uh, well, so you've had all these beers. So this is actually uh, bringing you into the brewer's art. As a brewer, we have you know, I have all these different hops to use, but my challenge is how do I put them together in a way that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts? Um, so for the last beer, we'll put them all together. You know what? I mean, it's my beer. <laughs> it's got my name on it. Uh, so 
I mean, this, this will open you up to the choices that a brewer makes. I mean, we have all these hops. Um, we actually, we have a nano brewery where we will make multitude of beers with different hops and then taste them as single hops and then blend them. We will sit on taste panel with six or eight beers, six or eight single hop beers and start blending and going, you know, which do I like better than any single hop? And this was the choice we made. This is uh, the undeconstructed Latitude 48. And you can, you know, you're, you can make your own judgments of is it better, is the sum of the parts greater than the individual parts, or might you have chosen just one or two of these hops? I mean, you can actually sort of in your mind at least blend them. But that's part of uh, what a brewer does is like a chef preparing a dish of food, um, we're doing the same thing with our ingredients. Yes, they're all in here. Um, plus a bittering hop called Zeus, but it's early in the kettle. All we're getting is bitterness from it. And you know, the ultimate question is, do you like this better than the single hop beers? Yeah. Yep. But this is sort of a window into the brewer's art. This is how, you know, beers are made through assembling these ingredients and trying to uh, bring out the complementarity uh, and the integration of them. Because typically, one hop is simpler than uh, a mixture, than the sort of cuvee of hops that you have in this glass. And, you know, I'm happy to hear from people. Do you like it better? Do you like it worse? Should we have done with one hop? Should we have done with two? I mean, I'm not threatened. The last two a little better. Okay. And I've actually, there's one of these beers that won a gold medal at the Great American Beer Festival. One of the single... One of the single hop beers got a gold medal at the GABF. That'd be really interesting. All right, let me take a vote. Um, you had four and then the integrated one. I, all I will tell you is one of them got a medal at the GABF um, in, the, in an IPA category. All right, let me, I'm just really curious. Uh, number one, how many think number one? Nobody. How many think number two, which was the Goldings? Couple. How many think number three, which was the Cascades? And how many think number four? Okay. The answer is, you're all wrong. <laughs> it was number one. The Hollertown Middle Fru Hop got a gold medal two years ago. And then Charlie gave it to me. Um, uh, and I can't not introduce you to one of the legends of craft brewing. This gentleman here, Charlie Papazian, who was here before any of us.
This is a man who, on mimeograph sheets of paper, uh, taught people how to brew. Um, so Charlie is the founder of everything that you see here, the founder of uh, the organization that became the Brewers Association that is putting on this event. But uh, Charlie started doing this when Jimmy Carter was president. That was a long time ago, and he is one of the true pioneers of all of craft brewing. So, um, but that's an interesting observation. So I can only tell you the facts. Your palates will tell you your preferences. And, uh, you know, uh, I think Thomas Aquinas told us, trust the authority of your senses. So what you like is what you like, and there is nothing truer than that. Cheers. I don't know if we're finished with our time, but I got plenty of beer. I'm happy to be here. So if there are any uh, questions or comments or thoughts, um, I'm happy to hear any of them. And yeah, I've also we're... got some other authorities, Ray and Charlie, uh, who I'm happy to have them weigh in because their opinions are uh, probably more worthwhile than mine. I think we're we've got a, a couple minutes left here for questions. If anybody's got something they want to uh, uh, pounce on Jim, I mean, uh, throw out there to Jim. Go for it. You paid a lot of money to be here. <laughs> <laughs> You're a privilege. All right, here we go. Question number one. Well, I'm curious to know. You looked at all four of those beers separately, and or all four of those hops separately. But how did you, when you combine them all, what what changed with each? you know, hop when you combine them, you know, how, how did each one change when you combine them with another one? I mean, you can taste it. Right. Um, and what we were trying to do is highlight the pleasant parts of each hop and reduce the uh, unpleasant parts of it. To me, too much caddy is a problem. Um, so we needed to lay in a lot of middle fruit uh, on top of that. Too much of that earthy, geranial, um, Goldings, that ashtray, uh, as brewers we call it dirt. Um, it's not scientific, but uh, we've been brewing with East Kent Goldings for a very long time. And we're like looking for that dirt, that uh, earthy, herbal, you know, cigar, um, but not too much. So it's really all about uh, trying to lay in each one to the level where uh, the nice parts of it come out, but not so much that you get the bad parts. Uh, and uh, at least to my palate, the middle fruit doesn't have any bad parts. I didn't get anything bad out of that. So we've used a lot of that. Um, but you can't get uh, American hops, you need that grapefruit, that resiny, that piney, that's a unique characteristic that America has contributed to the brewer's palate. It's just like a painting. Think of it as a painting. If it's all red, it's boring. But if you bring in all the primary colors, you've got something vibrant and interesting. I had another question. Uh, do you find differences in the aroma and the bitterness of the hops from each growing season, or do you find similarities from each season as they go on? Good question. 
Um, and both are true. Um, you know, within a variety and a growing and a terroir, there is a lot of very characteristic aromatics. Um, but growing season to growing season, they're slightly different. I mean, you can measure it. It's, there's no question they're different. The oil level, the alpha acid levels are just different from year to year. Yes, um, it is uh, about, well, within a growing area, you know, the, the la I mean, one big thing is the latitude, which affects the day length during the growing season. You need, yeah, you need like 16 hours of light. Uh, 17 hours, something like that. So hops are grown a belt uh, in a belt across the northern hemisphere and the southern hemisphere. You could think of it as north of where they grow grapes, where they grow apples and cherries. Hops grow well. Yes. So as a brewer, every year you're like adjusting your beer for what nature gave you. Oh yeah, you might grow like with middle fruit. We might get five percent alpha acid one year and three point eight the next year. So you know you have to adjust it. Otherwise, the beer is going to taste different. So again, that's part of the brewer's art: is how do we accommodate what nature gave us and try to make the same beer? Well, I've been you know. After 30 years, you've figured it out. Uh, but, uh, you know, they're not, like, completely symmetrical. Like, one year you might have the same aroma but less bitterness. So you've got to push more hops into the kettle, um, but you can keep your dry hopping the same. So it's, I mean, that's, that's okay. That's what we get paid for. We ought to be able to give... The drinker, the same beer. It's not like wine. Winemakers have this excuse, well, it was a bad year. Nobody is going to excuse me for giving you bad beer because it was a bad year. It's my job to give you good beer every year. And all brewers have that responsibility. And they're pretty good at it. All brewers are pretty, thank you. I'll drink to that. All right. Well, Jim, thank you very much. Great job with the beers, both with the special beers and with the ones you let us drink all the time. Keep up the good work, and thank you for all you do for beer. All right, everybody. Enjoy Savor. Thank you for listening to this recording from Savor 2013, brought to you by the Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio. You can find the rest of the salons from Savor 2013, as well as all the salons from previous years at craftbeerradio.com savor or on craftbeer.com. Craft Beer Radio is a weekly beer podcast that you can listen to on iTunes or from our website at craftbeerradio.com.